here and ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice for your writing career To be clear, no punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right, yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks, buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there when you're done writing Ditch Diggers! Hello everyone, I am so excited to have on Ditch Diggers today, which I did not do my good intro, but I'm going to blame streaming. I have Cat Rambo, former SIFWA president, uh, Nebula winner, many, many other no uh, nominated awards, and... What what and you have a book out today and and there's so much about, I know I know but this is Ditch Diggers <laughs> season seven episode eight or nine somewhere around there and um I have Cat on the show how are you Cat I'm doing really well it is spring here and i am fully vaccinated as of a couple days ago awesome. so i've been out to the grocery store to see all the years and a half worth of new snack technology which actually was a little disappointing um and i got a haircut scheduled and i have a book out today so awesome. yeah life is great today that's very exciting thank you for the resub tish Good to see you. Also, I did not know the sound that that would make, and that scared me a little bit. <laughs> but um, anyway, this is Ditch Diggers. This is the podcast that we talk about business of writing other than the craft. This is uh, more of what happens when you realize you need to fire your agent and not how do you get yourself out of that difficult plot hole. Um, I have more proof of life that my original co-host Matt is alive. He sends a message. I can't believe this is the first time we're having a former president on the show and I'm not there. Damn you, Murr. Damn you to Hades and all the infernal depths. Hugs and kisses, Matt. So, he's still alive and pissed off that he can't be here to hang out with Kat. But, uh, anyway. And I believe you're on, um... You're looking at Twitch, so you're seeing the uh, quote, uh, the chats where people are saying happy book day to Kat. So uh, let's start out with uh, telling us about your new book. It's exciting. It is uh, the third. It's called Exiles of Tibet, and it's the third book of the Tibet Quartet. So I'm now three quarters of the way through that journey. Um in it, my protagonist, Bella Canto, who people may remember as a charismatic, perhaps overly arrogant gladiator, is in exile with a what might be a puppy and might be a boy, and there's uh, dragons and sea chases and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, uh, when... I, I discovered you were doing video on your site, which is kittywumpus. Is that .com or .net? .net, although catrambo.com uh, will always work, too. Okay. Um, and you're doing, like, really cool, just off-the-cuff type 
videos and um, you said you've been doing it for a while. So what is that doing for you? I mean, I know it's like, it, did the pandemic spur you to do it more? Were you doing it before the pandemic or how are you approaching this? Well, I've been trying to hit on the things that I get asked a lot. Um, I do a lot of teaching online and during the pandemic, I've been teaching every week weekend and running a lot of co-writing and, and actually being more sociable than not. Um, but I've been trying to give useful advice in kind of short bites and particularly stuff that common mistakes people make. Like one of them is about uh, sending stories out. And one of the things people often do is they'll self-reject Right? They'll be like, well, I don't know if the editor really will want a story like this. I've never seen them run a story in second person, so I just won't send it. And that's, I argue, a pretty bad habit to be in. Yeah. So that sort of, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so because you're doing so much cool video, that's one reason why I wanted you on, but also because your experience in science fiction goes so far beyond what most of us experience because you've been uh, head of CIFWA, which is, you know, arguably the business of science fiction. We, we, we do branch out from, like, book writing on this show. We've had script writers and um, stuff, but we still focus mostly on science fiction because that's what Matt and I write. So um, a lot of people have just been seemed confused about not only what CIFWA does, but more importantly, when people say they want CIFWA to change something, it seems like you're steering a luxury yacht. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think, okay, well, this isn't working, just change it, and it's not that easy, right? Yeah, it's it actually more like steering a luxury iceberg. Oh. Uh, it it's just the wheels of bureaucracy always grind exceedingly slowly, and CIFWA is uh, no exception. Um, but one of the nice things about that is I've been seeing over the past few years uh, some things happen where I've been like, oh, I believe I prepared the way for that, or oh, look, that finally came into you know shape and that sort of thing. So that's been super cool. Um, so, people who aren't familiar with CIFWA, that stands for the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. The second F is silent. And it is an organization that is over 50 years old. It was founded by a bunch of what we call BNAs, big name authors, who were aware that publishers were uh, screwing, uh, not literally, figuratively, a lot of the smaller name writers. And so, basically, this is close to a union as we've got. It is the writers banding together in order to exert some force. And we've seen that recently. Uh, people have been following the Disney must pay yes. uh, thing that's going on. Uh, they're getting money for Alan Dean Foster, who wrote a couple of the Star Wars novelizations and hasn't been getting paid for them. And Disney's just been like, well, we don't know what's going on. Uh, that be an unfair characterization. But <laughs> Not, not too but unfair, CIFWA, I don't think. No, no. But, and CIFWA does, uh, I think, shape some things about the industry. You'll hear people refer to uh, CIFWA pro rates, mm -hmm. which is basically this is the pay rate which allows you to join. 
as a member, and it is those rates which keeps magazines from never adjusting them upwards and continuing to pay like three cents a word. Uh, currently, it's eight cents a word. Um, and they've got other stuff. They've got like an emergency medical fund. Uh, they, Peter Regal, you may uh, recently, uh, CIFWA paid a great deal of his legal fees uh, in his recent suit. Oh, which wow. He won and he won that, right? Yes. Awesome. Yep. That's that. I did not know that SIF was was involved in that. Um, yeah. And SIFWA is it's funny. SIFWA is involved with the Nebula Awards and the Nebula Conference, not involved in the WorldCon or the Hugos. However, the astounding, the astounding award yes. is given to someone who's made a pro sale, which is defined yeah. by SIFWA. Which is yeah. uh, an interesting crossover I hadn't considered before. So even though, like, sometimes people will go to SIFWA and complain about something about the Hugos, and you guys are like, nope, that's that's not us. And I'm still saying as if you're actively involved, but you served for how many years? I served on the board for five years. Wow. Uh, one year as vice president and then two terms as president. And I think one of my favorite Hugo-related moments is I was running a CIFWA business meeting at a convention uh, that I will not name. And I had this guy kind of looming in the doorway. And I was like, come on in, dude, because it's early in the morning. I'm fully caffeinated. And he says to me, I'm just here to burn down the Hugos. And I swear to God, it was like that gif of the Homer Simpson fading back into the book. <laughs> yes. Maybe he thought that was the Worldcon business meeting, which is where you have to complain about the Hugos. But I, I would, you know, all respect to Worldcon, but you would not catch me dead at one of the business meetings because I don't want to deal with that uh, particular barrel of flying monkeys whatsoever. It is. It is actually painful, and in act, in, and it's on one hand, it's sad that people don't actually understand that when you get, when you buy your your membership to WorldCon, you are literally a member of the World Science Fiction Science Fiction yes. uh, Society, and by having that membership, you have the right to decide where the Hugo's or where the WorldCon's going to be in two years. Yeah. You have the right to help. To, look, to go to the business meeting and say something that's bothering you and vote, but mm. nobody tells mm -hmm. you about Robert's Rules of Order, which is something yeah. I'd never mm. heard of until I went to a business meeting. And these are very, very detailed and crunchy rules. Oh, that, so crunchy. That, that I understand does help keep stuff moving and you know if somebody wants to argue they, they'll have a set time to argue or retort or whatever but yeah. I think it's like once you I've been trying to tell people you have the right to to make your your opinion heard but then you know they go to the business meeting and they're just completely flummoxed it's look well, the way that I learned Robert's rules of order is strangely enough through a superhero role-playing game where we ended adopting them for the superhero meetings and I was the person <laughs> oh my god 
I loved them. It was the only way I could keep from getting drowned out by all the guys was mm -hmm. by knowing them backwards and forwards. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> wow, that is interesting. I don't want to deal with that anymore. Yeah. Well, um, I do want to say hey to chat because lots of awesome folks yeah. have poked in. We got Frigg's daughter and Fire Rider, who's Fire Rider's on the uh, job of telling me whether the audio is working or not, so I appreciate that. Um, and Tish is back and subscribing. Thank you. And um, the kids are asleep. Will, JC Fabs, glad you made it. Uh, Under Pope, meeting was canceled. Under Pope was very sad uh, that he wasn't going to make your, your interview, so Under Pope's glad to be here, I'm sure. Uh, awesome. Yeah, Brenny, Tish, Lee, Cheryl made it. Yay. Hey, Sario, enjoy your lurk. Um, Truck Poetry made a live DD. That's awesome. Todd's here. And Christian Writing's here. Wow, lots of people. Good to see everybody. Thank you for popping in. Um, I'll be watching the chat for questions for Kat. But uh, what I wanted to start on is because you have so much wide knowledge and experience. Um, a lot of people are... I've been wondering about the uh, the whole the pandemic and the effect it's had on publishing, and also how do we get moving again now that things are kind of improving? We hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so, yeah. A, a couple of things. I, I mean, one is that your pandemic had a huge effect on publishing particularly there's been stuff involved with like paper restrictions and basically in some ways traditional publishing lost a year uh my book that's coming out in september of 2021 this year was originally scheduled for uh last year so that's really weird and i don't know how that's going to shake out but the kind of cool thing that's come out of the pandemic is that we're seeing conventions have a virtual component which is in many ways a democratic, I can't say the word, democratization of access, right? I mean, we, you mentioned Worldcon earlier and that buying a membership is a way to vote. Um, having it online makes it, I think, much more accessible or much more people can buy. I mean, I know they could buy before a supporting membership, but it just, it, not having a group that has to pay for hotels and flights and an, uh, a larger fee and not to mention having time off to go I, I think that's a really interesting leveling of the field and i really hope that we maintain that i don't want that to go away i want all the conventions to have a virtual component going forward i think yeah. it is ridiculous one thing that I loved about it is, um, on my other show, people ask me a lot about conventions and networking and do you need to be, like, what if I don't drink and I want to go hang out at the bar and do bar con and, and stuff like that. And a lot of pe and a lot of people just say, I, I am not near any conventions or I don't have the money to go to a convention. And I realize that virtual conventions, some of them still have a, a, a paying uh necessity but uh, that made no uh. sense at all but hopefully all the words clicked in people's heads <laughs> but um you know when it comes to people saying they're too far away i that was one thing that was great about 
the past like 18 months where I could say, you don't have to go anywhere. You can go to WorldCon. You can go mm-hmm. to uh, Flights of Foundry. And that gave a lot of people, at least, especially if they haven't been to a convention ever, that, that at least gave them a sense of what to expect on the panels and the readings and stuff. Yeah. So um, it's it's just been this excellent way for people to learn a little bit about uh, conventions. And I don't know if anybody's made the BarCon work yet. Um, I just tried Gather for the first time, which is fascinating. Have you tried Gather? I don't know that I have. Well, I you... did. Oh, go ahead. Well, when you log in, uh, you get it's it's like a computer game, which I understand will probably turn some people off if they don't play computer games. But when you log in, your video is like up in the corner, but you get your, a little sprite of yourself, and then there's the meeting space, and you'll see everybody else's sprites up there. And so you just do WASD or the the arrow keys to walk around, and when you get closer to people, you can hear what they're saying. So you don't get like a 17-person Discord chat going on and not able to talk. You just get closer. And if they're not talking about anything you're interested in, you can move away and then you can't hear them anymore. And it really gives this amazing idea for you're able to talk to people without, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to make yourself heard. But I think the right. the... It looks like a computer game. It's not, but it looks like a computer game, and that might turn some people off. But it's really interesting. It's not. Um, Spy Scribe is here. Yes, Spy Scribe is the one who's been telling me about your uh, co co writing events and how awesome it uh, is. Yeah. Um. And Saria says, there are so many people like me that would love to go to all the conventions but can't do the travel. Right. I don't even mind paying for entry. I just can't travel. Well, Sario, are you able to experience the virtual conventions? Have you you've been doing a lot of those? And same for the kids are asleep and Frig's daughter. Okay. Um, do you think, has there been like talk among people who build cons that this virtual aspect is going to keep going forward? I know... The Nebulas did an amazing job last year. Uh, call out to Spice Scribe, who was also involved in that, and uh, I know her fine work was really made the, yeah. the Nebula event uh, a big deal. But um, it seems like they were really on the ball with everything they were doing. So do you know if they're going to keep that up? And Spice Scribe, if you have any answers, please chime in. I, th- I believe they're going to uh, keep it up. Uh, I know that when we were talking earlier, that's I thought that they did just an amazing job as far as kind of like the barcon aspect with having the little meeting rooms where you could go in and, and be like your five people between a palm or whatever. And I thought that worked out uh, really nicely. But that is sort of labor intensive in that there had yeah. to have moderators who were moving people around. I like computer games, so I'm mean, gonna. The fact that you said uh, there has a computer game aspect is makes me like, oh, ooh, I'm gonna go check that. Yeah, out. I think it's gather.io. Um, if anybody okay. in the chat knows, uh, if I'm wrong, let me know. Um, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty fun. Uh, we did a awesome. escape artist party there after uh, WorldCon, and I mean, 
where it's hard. Yes. After Escape Pod and, and Podcastle got nominated for Best Semi-Prozine, uh, our publisher threw a party and gather for us, and it was just really interesting. And you can go up to, like, there's a podium, and if you go up to that, then when you speak, everybody hears it. Or you can go up to a table and, like, move your little person over to a chair, and then that's, like, a private room. People can walk up, but it's, like, that's not a place you can hear unless you join the table as well. It's just very, very interesting. Um, format should be very similar to last year. Happily, this new Zoom upgrade yeah. means everyone can move between breakout rooms without having to make everyone a co-host. Well, that's good. Yay. Thank you, Spicegribe. Um but anyway, so the what, hopefully one of the good things to come out of the pandemic is the accessibility of cons, despite the uh, accessibility and uh, disabled advocates saying, we've been asking for this for years and y'all said you couldn't do it. So thanks, which very, uh, very much a uh, legitimate gripe, I fully believe. But um, yeah. That's another reason I think it's good, not only for people who can't come, but for uh, people who are disabled and either would want to stay home or benefit from captioning and uh, or have problems with fatigue, all that stuff. So um, I think really hope that it uh, may it people maintain it for the cause. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, I had a. Uh, I had the pro my book was pushed back as well and it's not even on the schedule yet because I I I hit a problem of I couldn't write and uh, I yeah. I I'm trying to cut myself some slack but it's honestly hard because I am not I I didn't nobody in my immediate circle got sick um the people I know who did get it recovered and nobody in my immediate circle lost jobs or got into problems with back debt or anything. And so I'm like, I don't have a right to feel awful about this. But, I mean, I think the whole existential dread and terribleness of everything just kind of dragged everybody down. So, um, I, yeah, go on, Kat. I, I just, I, well, I wanted to say, no matter what the circumstances, I think everybody has a right to just feel like last year was totally fucked up, and just having made one's way through it is a huge victory. I mean, I, I don't think you can underestimate how fucked up it was to not just have the pandemic, but the chance that, you know, there was bullshit with Trump going on at the beginning of the year, and we thought maybe, you know, an armed insurrection was going to take the goddamn country, right? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder people couldn't write. Yeah. I mean, the only reason that I got writing done was because I was doing co-working. Mm -hmm. It really was. The co-working became incredibly important to me. It still is really important to me. I've made some huge friendships through that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I got a lot of work done. I have stories coming out this year because I got a lot of work done. But nobody should feel bad because they didn't get work done. I mean, you know, it was any year was a year to be tender with yourself. It was 2021 yeah. and 20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the benefit of people listening to Ditch Diggers on the feed later, uh, Sario has given us it's gather.town for uh, if you want to check out Gather. So thank you for that, Sario. Um, yeah, I, I 
do know that, and I, um, it's funny, I, I felt really bad for my kid because she graduated from high school and in 2020 and then had to start college and decided to go ha- be at the college even though the classes were virtual. But, you know, she wanted to have yeah. that experience of independence and away from home and everything. Yeah. And, um, and I felt bad that she was having to experience the first year of college in a pandemic, but I discovered this year that she had it better than one group of kids, and that's the kids graduating this year because so many people deferred from last year and just decided to take a year off. They've taken yeah. up a lot of the freshman spots for this year. So and the college was so hard, I heard, from a friend of mine. And so... It's, it's already tough enough. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I'm getting off topic. Just that it, it's, it's funny that, you know, you try to find whatever good or interesting thing can come of that. Um, uh-huh. So, but now that we're getting back, there are some conventions that are happening. Worldcon's going to be in December yeah. in D.C., I can't wait. Um, and I know, of a, I think Mile High Con is happening in person. That is in October in Denver. And yeah. uh, I think VCon is happening in person. That's also in October. So there's some cons there's some planning some stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I, I fail at being a futurist. So I really don't know how this entire, you know, 24 months is going to affect writers and publishing moving forward. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, I, I, anything like topics of books or uh, how new <laughs> writers have to approach things or what? Well, I can tell you, having just edited an anthology, that there's lots of writers writing stories that are clearly shaped by the pandemic. Uh, where it's it, and, it, and, I, and not just kind of like pandemic stories, but stories where, say, uh, two people are trapped in a tiny spaceship going, you know, for a year-long yeah. journey. Uh, so there is a huge amount of that. And if, uh, to folks that are writing those stories, absolutely valid, but I'm going to warn you, I think there's going to be a big glut of those for a while, and you're going to have to do something really interesting in order to be selling them. Um is I, I do think more people are reading. Uh, yes. That seems to be, uh, generally, there is a big upswing of books. I In fact, I have a friend who is an indie writer who just moved to a, another country because they've been doing so well off the indie books uh, that they could do that, uh, which is awesome. Uh, so that's good. The traditional publishing... I, I'm very curious to see what will happen with traditional publishing because it was already a little bit shaky. Uh, you know, in my opinion, and, and I say this as someone with a book coming out traditionally published in September, in my opinion, traditional publishing did not quit. Here came ebooks, and traditional publishing kind of went wham and bounced off it and did not perhaps survive the encounter as, as well as it could have. And I think there's still some weirdness going on there. To me, the fact that I can go on a certain large website and pay more for the electronic edition than I do for the paperback version, oh, wow. that something's fucked up. And I yeah. see that pretty consistently, actually. So, yeah, I, 
<laughs> who knows with traditional publishing is yeah. basically what I'm saying there. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, it's funny that you said the pandemic has shaped some things because I realized that when I was writing a scene in my latest novella that, um, my character having a mask in her pocket is totally plausible now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, Phased Out says the aff aforementioned large website always claims price set by publisher. And if you complain to the publisher, they will tell you it is the aforementioned large website. Yeah. It's kind of funny how we've, we've now, we, now we don't say that name and we don't say the name of that woman in Scotland who, uh, <laughs> I'm guessing Kat knows who I'm talking about. I, I do. I, I was just talking to somebody recently because they were wearing uh, merch, mm -hmm. you know, a T-shirt that that said their their house, and and they were they were kind of apologetic about it, and, and they were just like, "But it fits," you know. Yeah. Well, oh, hey, KK. Yeah. Good to see you. So, uh, if anybody has any questions for Kat, uh, let me know yeah. in the chat. But. Um, so as somebody who's, it was a struggle for me last year and since starting podcasting to come up with a topic every week. And now because of streaming, I am doing two shows a week. And now that Ditch Diggers has gone live, I'm doing three shows a week. How do you come up with your topics when you sit down to do your videos? Because I need, uh, if you got a, a key to that Pandora's brainstorm box, I sure would like one because... Uh, actually, your most recent one was uh, about screwing up, and yeah, that was really right. interesting. So, um, so that that was just basically me trying to, to looking at what I had done and and trying to think it through and trying to figure out something useful advice out of it, yeah. right? And and I had screwed up. I'd screwed up a time, and and God knows, last year and a half, I don't know how many of us have not mistaken a zoom schedule time for you know at least once per week uh but it's it's hard not to kind of beat yourself up over stuff and so the way that i tried to not beat myself up over it was to turn it into something useful which was a video about it oh, interesting. Uh, it, yeah and i mean for me because i teach I've got the benefit of a constant influx of people asking me questions mm -hmm. and people saying, hey, how about this? And often that's how I learn things. Um, one of the things that I've become more aware of over the course of the last uh, year and a half is uh, neurodivergency and uh, kind of the fact that students who are neurodivergent in one way or another often have different needs. And so that's kind of shaped my teaching process. And I ended up, uh, I asked uh, Xander O'Dell is going to be teaching a workshop uh, for me on writing neurodiversity. And so probably I will get a couple of videos out of that because I will learn something useful and I'll want to say something about it. Uh, I... I'm a preachy person, and <laughs> doing videos lets me preach. <laughs> nice, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I go by questions a lot too. And actually, Matt's not here to tell me I can't do this. So I had a I had a craft question yesterday that flummoxed me a little bit. Oh. Um, so I want to throw it at you. Someone asked if 
she was not an outliner, and she wants to know if outlining is done with the writer part of the brain or the editor part of the brain. Oh. And I hate outlining and I hate editing, so I can see the connection. But since you're doing it at the very beginning, you have to be creative, so I can see the writer part. But the standard about an outline is you don't have to create it at the beginning. Right. And in fact, that is not what I do. I create a very kind of large plot arc in my head, and then I outline the first third, and I write it. And then I outline the second third, and I write it. And then I outline the third third, and I write it. And then I create yet another outline, and I use that for my uh, edited editing. Uh, so I would I would say it is it's both depending on how you're using it. Uh, if you're using the outline as part of the discovery process, you're definitely using the writing part. But if you're using the outline as an editing tool, you're definitely using it as the editing part. Ah. Yeah. So it's like, are you using the hammer for bludgeoning or for levering? That's it. That's it. Yes, the outline is a hammer. That's that's my that's yeah. my theory now. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you for following. It's just Will. Welcome. Um. So yeah, we got Cat Rambo here. You got business questions? Just let me know. Um. I just want to ask you, like, all the, 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 how, how do I do this, Cat? Give me your wisdom. But I realize I have to be more specific than that, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. From, from now on, um, do you think you're creative, uh, like, starting, I want to start something new today. Do you think your creative approach has been changed by the pandemic? No. Okay. I'm sorry. That's no. Not that's that's fine. I've been trying to figure out if mine is, or if I'm just writing more and therefore outlining is becoming slightly easier to me. I don't know if it's like just experience or experience from the pandemic yeah. kind of thing. Um, it could just be I'm getting better or. Uh, sorry. Sorry, I I had someone going in the background to remind me I had. A meeting, which is a weekly reminder that I have set by she who should not be named, and I forgot to turn it off before the okay. podcast. No problem. Um, so I think I am out of questions. Is there anything you want to bring up, Kat, or talk about, or advise my audience? Um, I wanted to actually speak in favor of uh, something that I think is pandemic related mm -hmm. which is i think i wanted to talk about hope punk because i recently saw some somebody yeah. shitting on hope punk and being like this is this game is trash and so i want and i do a class on hope punk and i would define a lot of what i write as it and so i wanted to say like right now we need a couple things we need stories that inspire and give people you know hope and comfort them and all of that but we also need stories that show communal action, that show a rejection of a lot of the fucking fucked up power structures. You know, we are science fiction writers. We should be showing people the way. Uh, and so Hope Punk 
which is anti-capitalist, is anti-corporation, is you know, is is pro-maker and DIY and, and pro so much. People should be writing that, uh, and and that is the literature that I hope comes out of the pandemic more than anything else. Is I hope there is this huge renaissance and flowering of people questioning things and writing stories that both, you know, kind of inspire and guide and comfort. Uh, so. A lot of uh, comments about Hope Punk in the chat. Uh, either people loving reading it or wanting to write it. Um, so can you give, go ahead. I, I did Frigg's daughter. Like you said, you've been writing to, wanting to write Hope Punk, but you can't wrap your head around it. I was wondering if you would uh, say a little bit more about that. Uh, is it just like kind of not understanding what it is or uh, not feeling hopeful or something like that? <laughs> just one write Hope Punk. Yeah. Um, it is, let me, actually, let me find a link uh, with a, I've got an essay that I did about Hope Punk. Hang on one uh, second, let me allow you to write, to post a link. Um, you have special permission. Yes. Now I've lost my window. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, so I talked a little bit about it here, because I do a class on it. Okay. Uh, and it is one of my favorite ones. It's called How to uh, Writing Stories That Change the World. And I think it is, uh, that might be helpful. Uh, take a look at that. And, and I think reading uh, some stuff that feels helpful, helpful, helpful. Yeah. Work hard. They are, really. <laughs> I told my vet the other day that my dog did not like to be pedicurized. And I said... <laughs> You understood the, what I'm saying, so therefore it's language, yeah. and that's a word. Um, yeah. But, you know, actually, we didn't talk about your editing at all. Um, what are you, are you working on anything? And the stuff you work on, is that mostly solicitations of existing stories, or do you take submissions? Oh, I... Oh, you mean, like, for editing for other people? Uh... Like, for the anthology you mentioned. Oh, for the anthology, that's a project uh, that Ark Manor had uh, talked to me about doing, and Jen Brozak and I teamed up on it, and we've enjoyed it so much that we actually have a second anthology in the works, which I'm not going to talk about the theme of, because it is so freaking cool, I'm afraid someone will steal it. Uh, but uh, look for news of that uh, sometime in the next uh, few months. So most of that's... That's usually what I do. Uh, I do a little freelance editing, but it has to be something that I'm kind of excited about. Mm -hmm. Like right now, I took on a project where I'm editing a novel, uh, doing a developmental edit of a novel by a uh, uh, neurodiverse uh, author. And it's a really interesting manuscript, and I wanted to work with it, so I, I, I said, sure. Uh, but when, you're, when you are working on your anthologies, do you take... Uh, submissions, or is oh, it yeah. like, more like asking people and soliciting and stuff? Oh, I do a mix. Okay. Because you know, publishers, they want you to be able to say, oh, I've got this big name author and I've got this big name author. So you want, you got to have like, like at least two or three where you can be like, I got so and so. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't like closed 
anthologies. I, I think there needs to be at least uh, at least part of the story should come in through open submission because otherwise you might miss something amazing. Yeah. 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 We have a question. Um, they've been chatting in the Discord about when and how to come up with your theme, whether you should start with it or find it along the way. I've, I've, told, I've told the audience that I am very literal. I've never been good at identifying themes in other books. It's hard for me to identify themes in my books. I remember once I got in trouble because I was so frustrated I couldn't figure out what theme really meant. I tried to do a headstand in class to get the blood to come to my brain and uh, better figure it out. And then I got in trouble from with the teacher for trying to do that. Can't really yeah. blame her. Sorry. I, I, I could totally see that because it's a little bit, you know, it's got that, that smattering of the college essay about it. I tend to think of it with stories as what is the story trying to say about the human condition, right? I mean, it could just be like karma's a bitch or it yes. could be you know, love stories usually work this way or grief gets better. You know, there's a lot of kind of possible stories like that. And then that's the organizing principle that I use in my editing, right? You know, that's the question I ask myself. Does this make this a better story about grief or a worse story about grief? You know, oh, okay, I steer in the direction of better usually. But as far as coming up with a theme, that's one way to start a story, certainly. It's not how I usually start it. I have, uh, you know, kind of been like, okay, I'm going to make this story about the fact that people harbor grudges and you have to figure out how to get past them uh, is one story I wrote. Uh, but most of the time I don't do it that way. But I do have to figure it out by at least by the time that I'm editing. Otherwise, I have nothing to guide me. Right. So you see it's a sort of a, a guiding thing on the edit side. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually able to write an outline that I felt confident about for the first time uh, more recently when I was doing a, it was it was doing a rewrite, but it was doing a very very like ground up kind of rewrite. So yeah. um, it took I, I, it was a lot easier to make the outline since I had already tried to write it once. Yeah. Um, so thank I, you. That's I, pretty cool. I think it's really hard to write a complete outline and then write the book because, for one thing, stuff occurs to you as you're writing, right? Yeah. News occurs and you discover stuff. And if you are trying to stick too strictly to that outline, I, I, to me it feels cumbersome. But I also have, I have a friend who writes a 30,000-word outline. Oh, my and God. She's like... Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, what do you do with a 30,000 word outline? Because then you're just like, well, I wrote the book already. <laughs> yeah, I, I was invited to be in an anthology, but the editor wanted a sh an outline for a short story. I'm like, I'm just going to write the story and you tell me if you want it or not. I, yeah, I, yeah. Outlining is hard, and so it's a lot easier for me just to write it. And if I get it wrong, then I'll write it again. But I'm not yeah. going to give you an outline for a short story. <laughs> I, I almost never do outlines for short stories. I mean, 
Yeah. Maybe novella. Yeah, this was this was a novella that, that I had this successful outline. Um, we do have another qu- question in the chat from Truck Poetry. On your outline a third of the book strategy, do you generally target outlining to a particular point in story structure uh, every time? Yes, I do. I think of it in terms of uh, theater acts. And I think of it in terms of like act one, act two, act three. And I want each act to end with a moment that basically kind of feels like a pause, you know, like some some sort of resolution, but also sends them out into the lobby to stand around going, ooh, what do you think is going to happen in the next act? Awesome. Do you use any specific... Um type of outlining we've over it was not entirely successful but during um october last year i was trying to get people ready for nanowrimo and i said i would go through a bunch of different editing processes and uh one of them i rage quit so the snowflake method i rage quit and uh save the cat focused on novel writing i did enjoy and then the third one I realized was much better to be used on an editing pass instead of a, fr- a f- writing pass. And I forget the name of that. Someone's going to remember it in chat. But, yeah, it was it, it was funny how I really, really tried to have be open-minded to this stuff. And I very easily found the one that it worked for me and the one that I hated. <laughs> and I'm not going to say the Snowflake Method is bad. It just was not for me. Oh, yeah, sure. no, the Snowflake Method is... is... Story Grid. Thank you, Underpope. Yeah. What I use are uh, little index cards and a wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically each card is a scene. And I try and identify what I call, and I have actually seen other writers call it, this as well, tentpole scenes, right? They're those, the big important scenes that you know kind of roughly where they're going to occur in the book, right? right? You know, like this is the betrayal or whatever. And then once you've got those kind of pinned down, then you can start thinking about, well, what are the other necessary scenes? And you can start kind of filling in uh, the gaps like that. And that's how actually, when I'm kind of creating a, I'm going to write, here's the list of scenes that I'm going to do, I do something like that. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I learned that from Walter John Williams. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I have kept you for an hour, and... Mm-hmm. Technically a little bit longer because of our fun technical difficulties getting started, but um, uh, thank you so much for being uh, on Ditch Diggers, Kat. Um, I've been a great admirer of everything you do for some time and appreciate all you've done for science fiction as well as for the writers and your writing group and the classes you teach and the stories you tell. So it was a big honor to have you on. Do you remember it was the first year I was at Gen Con and we were in the writer's room and we were... Yes! Uh, <laughs> I know what you're going to talk about! <laughs> that was awesome! Yes, Cat Rambo and I running around outside looking for a Pokemon in Pokemon Go. Oh, I think it was a Charmander or something like that. Yeah, it was. that was fun. Yeah. Do you still play? No, I I linked it to my Google account, and now I and I, I yeah my phone 
doesn't authenticate, and I'm uh, lazy to reauthenticate it. Uh, plus, I have not been doing a lot of traveling. Well, yeah, they they have done better at trying to give you a way to enjoy the game closer yeah. to home. But uh, yeah, the the traveling does help that out. But um, anyway, it was kittywumpus.net um, or catrambo.com. Uh, you, you also have a Patreon. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, I do. Uh, and the Patreon gives people access to my Discord uh, server, gives people access to the co-working events, which happen pretty much daily. Um, you get both a class discount through it, and then often... At least once twice a month, I tend to run uh, special events. Like either I'll do an event of writing games, or I'll be teaching a class where I'm just like everybody that wants to come in, feel free because I'm testing something out. So feel free to check it out. Uh, it's a pretty nice community, and there's scholarships. If you are a writer that is just like I want community, and I can't afford to support you on Patreon, you know. Mail me and we'll work something out because uh, there's lots of scholarships. And the same with the classes. Uh, there's three free scholarships in each one. Excellent. Yeah. And thank you for the uh, links. Kids are asleep. Very much appreciate that. Yes, thank you. Ah, thank you. So uh, you can also support my Patreon um, at patreon.com slash mightymer. And my website is at um, merverse.com. And Matt will return... Don't worry, he's still alive. I promise. You can support us at patreon.com slash mightymur. Ditch Diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com.